0: Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin churchorg And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We are in a new series that we started last week, and it's called Margins. And we're talking about making room for what matters most in our life. Making room for what matters most. And today I want to talk specifically about making time for what matters most most, making time. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. If you want to start turning there, that's going to be where we're going to kind of spend most of our time this morning. And uh, last week, we talked about Mary and Martha. And if you know the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, uh, the, the, um, you know, Jesus is coming into town, right? And Martha is stressed out trying to get everything done. And we talked about stress in our lives and how that's connected to margins. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the early church and just kind of some, some seasonal changes that were happening in the early church that brought about some stretching of margins and some good changes in Acts chapter 6. Before we um, read that, how many of you would say that you regularly feel hurried? Like, that's like regularly you're feeling hurried throughout the week, right? Yeah. <laughs> so somebody's helping their spouse raise their hand in the air, like, be honest right now. The Lord sees you, okay? I I raised my hand because I regularly feel hurried. Um, John Mark uh, Comer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And And he tells, yeah, he tells the story of his friend, John Ortberg, who was kind of a spiritual mentor in his life and John used to work at Willow Creek which is a massive church that was a very influential church at that time and uh and he was feeling a bit frazzled by the the what he called the mega church insanity like it was just like so much happening all the time. And so he called a friend by the name of Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard was a a philosopher, and he was at at a, a university in California. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it's USC. And he asked him for advice, and he asked him this question, what do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? That's the question he asked Dallas Willard. Now, I've had friends like this that are incredibly smart people, and you ask a question, and then there's this long pause, and you're like, is my phone still working? Right. And finally, Dallas says to him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Ortberg was like, oh, that's so good. He gets his journal out, and he writes it down, and then he asks in the follow-up question, okay, What else? long pause. And he says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. That's what he said. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Have you ever thought about that before? That hurry is actually your enemy when it comes to your spiritual life. Um, Cory Ten Boom, if you've ever read the book Hiding Place, amazing story. She said this, she said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And I have felt that in my life. And the thing is, last week we talked about the, the, the three spheres of relationship of God and self and others and every one of us is actually meant to be connected to God, connected to ourselves and connected to one another. Like we're, we, we need those things and all of those are actually linked together and sin and hurry, they actually, both of those things, they are enemies of our relationship with God our relationship with our own souls and our relationship with those around us. Carl Jung, a a famous um, psychiatrist that has uh, shaped our modern world in in, uh, almost incomprehensible ways, if you have young people that use words like depression and anxiety and uh, you know these terms, psychological terms, you can, you can thank Carl Jung. And here's what he said. Hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Uh, John Mark Comer, Shares another story in his book about talking to his therapist, and he was dreaming of re-architecting their communities, like their house churches, to uh to pattern themselves in such a way that they could grow as apprentices of Jesus, like disciples of Jesus. And his psychiatrist told him: the number one problem you will face is time. It's time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich in vibrant lives. Wow. The number one problem you will face is time. Last week, we defined margin as the amount available beyond what is necessary. If you have a word processing software at home that you use like Microsoft Word or something like that, there's that little setting where you can set the margins, right? And that creates that little white space on the sides. And that's what we're talking about is having the, the, the boundary lines of our lives set in such a way that there's a little bit of room. And today I wanna to talk about the room in our time. We said it's the distance between what you need and what you have. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's margin. And the question that I want to pose to us this morning is, what if the spiritual, emotional, and relational life that you've longed for is just on the other side of your busyness? Acts chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. And here's what it says. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint, uh uh-oh, by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the Hellenistic Jews were Greek right? They were Greek origin. The Hebraic Jews were Hebrew. They were Jewish origin. And of course, there's probably a little bit of like uh, accusation that this is some sort of racism, right? You're, You're kind of withholding from the Greek people, the Gentiles, and you're favoring the Hebrew people. So there's this complaint that's brewing in this early church, and it says that they were increasing in number, Like, this movement of Jesus is growing. More and more people are coming to Christ. And I just want to say, how cool is it that the early church had a food program to help widows? Like, that's awesome. You see, the the church of Jesus has always been a church of solutions. But you know how this goes. As soon as you solve one problem... It's like whack-a-mole. It's like another problem comes like, bam! You know, you're like, just, there's another one here. You know, it's like we make one solution only to find more. And so they have a solution to widows not having food. And now more problems are emerging. And this is what we call growing pains, right? growing pains. If you have a kiddo who's grown, my, uh, my oldest son went through a time period where it's like he couldn't run. He couldn't do anything. He's just hurting because his bones were just growing so fast. And the church has these growing pains. And maybe you have some growing pains in your life. You might have a increasing number of disciples in your home, meaning you're having more children and there's some growing pains happening in your household. Maybe there, you have some growing responsibilities in an area of your life. It could be a growing, growing pains in your career. Maybe, maybe things are going good, but it's like just you're, you're getting more responsibilities. They're asking more of you and more times being needed, or you're just having to learn some new stuff right now. It could be a a growing company or maybe a growing number of grandchildren. You're you're being fruitful and now your children are multiplying. You're like, whoa, what are we going to do with all these grandkids, right? Or maybe you retired only to discover that you have all these other things to do now, right? Your wife is giving you the list maybe and you're like, I'm doing what today, right? Growing pains, It's also a shifting of seasons, right? It's a shifting of seasons inside this this early church and what had worked, what had worked for them up to that point no longer worked for them. And margins are being squeezed. In verse two, here's what it says. The 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables, Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." So they're making some changes as the church is growing, they're doing some organizational shifts, and if you have ever heard of a deacon before, this is where it comes from. I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, what is a deacon? Like, what, what is, do they deak? Is it like bacon? You know, like, what's a deacon? Well, that's actually a transliteration of that word for to wait on tables, Right, it's it's a word that means to serve or to wait on tables, and they're going to find seven men and they're gonna have the people select them, right? And here's the thing that's so neat about this, is that the ones who had spent their time growing in a relationship with God, a relationship with their own soul, and relationship with others, all of a sudden, they're lifted into a new place. It says that the, uh, they were, they, they said it would not be right for us. And, and here's the thing is, I, have y'all ever shoulded yourself before? That's not, I didn't say what you thought I said. Have you ever shoulded yourself before? Where, where you think, you know, I should do that. I, I should. I mean, I... I could, I should do that, right? And then all of a sudden, you have all this stuff on your plate, in your margins, because you should. And when people in the church are getting their feathers ruffled about the widows, and maybe there's some racial accusations, it would have been so easy for the disciples to should themselves into a role, right? Right? But instead, they say it would not be right for us. Now, maybe people were thinking, like, these guys are just elitist. They're climbing the ladder. No. These guys, they don't even care about widows. No. What they know is that they would not have time right, to preach, to pray, to minister, and run the food distribution program. They would not have time. And just notice the wisdom because here's how I do it. I do it backwards. I should myself into doing a bunch of other things. And then I get all frazzled and I'm like, I need to stop. I need to call them and tell them I can't do this. Right? That's what we do. But these guys have the wisdom and the foresight to see like we don't have the margins for this right now what happens when we overextend our time and you know this is that we start to lose focus and uh i've i've found this when i'm overextended and then finally like dinner time comes and we're talking around the table and then if my family is anything like your family there's like about three or four conversations going at one time Okay, and it's like we were talking about this, but somebody added this, and then now we're saying this over here, and so they're, and all, all are happening at the same moment. And then, if you're like me, I'm just like my brain melts inside my head, and it, and I can't, I like, I literally can't follow. And then I say this: What you say, right? What you say, right? Because you're just, you, you cannot focus because you're just so maxed out. We lose focus whenever we are overextended. I've also noticed that our enjoyment is di- it's diminished. Like if you always feel in a hurry, or maybe you're literally in a hurry and you have to eat in the car. Does anyone here enjoy eating in the car? No one? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I have one son in the back who enjoys eating in the car. And it's probably, it's probably nice when you're a kid because they just hand you everything, right, parents? You're like... They, they need napkins. I, I need Chick-fil-A sauce. I need, you know, like, we're just kind of like... But if you've ever tried to eat in the car and you just get so frustrated because, like, you know, get fries are dropping on your shirt, right? And you've got juice dripping on you from your your hamburger, or whatever. It's just, it's a total mess. And you kind of think, like, what happened to the days when people would actually just stop and sit down at a table and eat? and And actually, like stay for longer than five minutes at the table. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Enjoyment is diminished. And our spiritual life and our relationships suffer. There's a a story in the Old Testament of Moses and Jethro and uh, the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. Jethro is Moses's father-in-law and during the whole like let my people go part of Moses's life, he sends his wife and his children to grandpa's house, grandpa Jethro's house, because he knows it's going to be a crazy time period. And so Jethro brings the family back. And when he gets there, he's praising God for bringing the people of Israel out of, the, uh, you know, out of Egypt. But then he sees Moses. And Moses is sitting like here in the middle of the camp. And from, from morning until late at night, people are just coming. And they're bringing all their disputes to him, all the little conflicts of all these people traveling in 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 the wilderness together are coming to Moses and Jethro sees it and he goes, what you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. And here's what he says, because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. What he's telling him is your margins have gotten way too thin. And it is not good for you. And the disciples say the same thing. It would not be right. It would not be good for us to do all of this. And here's what they say in verse uh, verse four. They say, where am I? Here I am. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. Here's my first point for you today. You have enough time to do what God has called you to do. You do. I know. We feel overextended. We feel like our margins are frazzled. But you have been given enough time to do what God has called you to do Unless you fill your time with things that God has not called you to do. There is stuff that only you can do. Only I can be dad to my children. Right? Only I can do that. Only I can be a husband to Casey. I can't hire someone to do that. I do that, and only I can do it. Only you can use whatever gifts or talents or abilities that God's given you, only you can use them. Like, you can't hire someone to use your gifts for you, right? You can't can't hire someone to develop your relationship with God for you. you can do that. And there are things that only God has called you to do. It's, it's a realm of authority or responsibility that God has given to you, and you're the only one who can do it. And the thing is that we, we will busy ourselves doing all the stuff that someone else could be doing out there, and we will actually neglect the things that only we can do. John Mark Comer says this. There's a saying in parenting literature. It says, To a child, love is spelled T-I-M-E. There's truth in that. And it's not just for parents and children. If you love God the Father, and you want a living, thriving relationship with Him, where you experience His presence all through the day, then you need to carve out T I M E to be alone with him. Full stop. And relational time is wildly inefficient. Ever noticed that before? God, you have five minutes this morning. Come now. I don't feel anything. Okay, off to work. Relational time is wildly inefficient. It comes in fits and bursts. It takes margin. Psalm 90 verse 12 is a psalm of Moses who had had his father-in-law come and give him that little correction. And here's what Moses writes in the psalm. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. I don't know how many days. I don't know what the counter in heaven is for me. I don't know when that last one's going to come. And and, and, and when I hear a sermon like this, a lot of times what I I feel like happens is people are like, man, this this is it. This is your one life. Live it up, man. Don't waste it should be having some fun out there. You know, all those kinds of things that people say. And what, what I, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this is that you are, uh, you have one life to prepare yourself for the life. Dallas, Dallas Willard would say, you are an unceasing spiritual being, meaning that you and I are eternal creatures and you will spend, you will spend eternity somewhere. It's going to happen. The question is, what did you do with this number of days to prepare yourself for what's coming long before this? If you're young, that's hard to wrap your mind around, but the older you get, the more it begins to make sense. Like, I'm just getting started. I don't care how old you are, you're just getting started. But what you do with your time now will impact what is coming next. And here's the reality. I think the biggest drain on our T-I-M-E is technology. Right? It's the biggest drain. A recent study said that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Wow. That's crazy, right? And that's over about two and a half hours, on average, two and a half hours for 76 sessions. You can open screen time right now and just see how you're doing. (laughs) I did it this week. It was a little bit scary. I'm right on track. And whenever we feel like we don't have time to pray or read our Bible or connect with our family or complete our work or regularly be with our church community, it's like, man, I don't have time for that. It's like, well, let's open screen time and just make sure that that's correct. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because this is the thief. And here's the thing you're the product they're selling. They're selling your eyeballs to advertisers. And this is really good at figuring out what you like and what you don't like and serving it right up to you. Just to keep you like this. I, don't have, I have no time for God because I've been scrolling my phone all day. <laughs> we, uh, we have everything right here to, at our fingertips there. In fact, in the, in the late 60s, there was a, uh, a, a group that presented to, I guess, the the, you know, the Congress or whatever about uh, the changes in technology and how people are going to have all this time on their hands. And they're saying like, you know, people might just work like maybe 20 hours a week and, and we got to like figure out what to do with the rest of their time. And here's the thing is, you know that you don't have to go to the store anymore. You, you don't have to go to the bank anymore. You don't have to go to like your phone company or your electric company to pay your bill anymore. Like you you have all that. Instead, what do we do? Instead of doing those things, we just spend hours right here. Yeah, let's, let's put in our grocery order right now, right? We, we do it too. And the biggest drain is our technology. I, uh, I have a guilty pleasure of YouTube. Do we have any YouTube watchers out there? Uh Uh-huh, yep, yep. And it's like, you could learn so much. There's a whole world of information out there. And it's so addictive. I I found this quote from Andrew Sullivan. He wrote this article called, I Used to Be a Human Being. And, and, And Andrew Sullivan was this guy who started a company that would curate the internet and it would post blogs. And like, he got to where he was doing it every 20 minutes. He was posting a new blog about whatever new information was coming out at that moment. I mean, this guy was just like whew, frenetic with this. And here's, here's what he said after coming out of that. In fact, I think he went to a monastery. He, he uh, went into the, the waiting room to kind of get checked in. And there's like this, this priest that has a basket for cell phones, and the priest smiles. Holds the basket out like, okay. And he put his phone in there. And then he had that feeling of like, I need to get that back from like right now, right? That addiction thing. And he had to go through this incredible detox. And here's what he writes. Modernity slowly weakened spirituality by design and accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence in mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. The thing is, the jury is still out about what this does to human beings. We're learning it right now. I have a sense that the record rates of suicide are somehow connected to this. There was a recent study that I heard someone talking about and they said that um, as they were uh, studying people who were spending a lot of time on online is that it actually diminished their sense of their own self. It's like this, they, they could just kind of keep themselves distracted from themselves all the time with with just more stuff, more social media, more scrolling, more, more things. And they didn't ever develop a sense of who they really were. And when resources are, are limited, priority must be established. Second point for us today. Every yes requires a no. And every no enables another yes. Yes if the 12 had said yes to the food distribution program, what they would have in effect have been saying is no to do the thing that God had told them to do. Jesus told them, here's what I want you to do. And if they had said yes to the food program, they would have been saying no to the very thing that God had called them to do. But saying no to that which was outside of their margin, right, enabled them to say yes to the things that God had called them to do, that were within their margin and their calling. And there was a, a, is it, do you tweet on X on Twitter, what used to be called Twitter? Is that right? Do you still tweet? Is that still, no? Is is it a tweet? It's still a tweet. Okay. Okay. I just learned something today because I'm like, he Xed John Acuff, X'd? No, he tweeted on X. It's confusing. I don't know. He said this, the ability to say no today will give you the freedom to say yes a thousand times tomorrow. Wow. Verse five, let's pick it up. This proposal pleased the whole company, but they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Here's my third point. Spending time doing more beyond your margin results in less. I don't know if you caught that in the story. They say no to the food program, so that they can say yes to what they were called to do and in doing that they had all this incredible stuff happen it says the word of the of the lord spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. That, that Greek word is pleth- plethuno, which means multiplied. It's like the difference between five plus five is 10, and going to 10 is fantastic, but it was five times five, it was 25. It's like multiplication starts happening. And even a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The very people whose livelihood depended on temple worship, were now saying, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and so we're gonna follow him now. All this happened because they said, no, we can't do that. Someone else is gonna have to do it. Doing less resulted And more. And had they tried to do it all, it would have resulted in less. The paradox for us is that less is often more. And more is actually less. And refusing to do more might actually lead you to more. There's these principles throughout Scripture the fourth commandment of the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh is a day unto the Lord, a Sabbath. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. And then he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it Holy! What a mean God that would command you to take a day off, right? What a tyrant! Did you know that they had a Sabbath year? Talk about walking in faith. Some of us it takes faith to believe that if we take off on on a day that everything's going to be okay. Imagine taking off a whole year that on the seventh year, they were to let the land rest, that nobody was to work the land. And the Lord said, if you do this, if you will obey me, I'm going to bless your land so abundantly that it's going to produce more than you could ever imagine. But if you don't, he starts listing off all the plagues. And one of the last one was, I will desolate this land until the number of the Sabbath years that you were unwilling to rest on are completed. Meaning this land will rest one way or another, folks. Now, have you quit your job every seventh year just to like take a, a year with the Lord? I haven't. Oh, wow. It was a command to rest. And if they would rest, God says, I will accomplish more with you. So the twelve who said no, their made room, get this for someone else's yes. And this is the cool thing. This is is like the body of Christ being displayed is that the limits of your calling just might be the beginning of someone else's. Your no actually empowers someone else's yes. And what's so cool is that seven people joined their team and the ministry got better because they had the courage to not should themselves and to say, that's outside of our margins. There's a story of John Coltrane that I heard from John, a John Tyson sermon, and I'm gonna shamelessly rip it off because it was so beautiful. If you know John Coltrane, he's a famous jazz musician, a, a saxophonist, and he had this sort of fast, frenetic style. And he kind of burst onto the jazz music scene. And because of his kind of notoriety, he got invited into this thriving jazz scene in New York. And um, that scene was full of brokenness, in addiction, in heavy, heavy drug use, heroin, all this kind of stuff. And Coltrane to keep up with kind of the the pace of that lifestyle, he becomes a heavy drug user and he would practice like all night long until his lips were bleeding on the reed and he would change out the reed and then he would keep practicing and just keep taking drugs to kind of keep himself because he wanted to be on top of his game. Finally, his life completely falls apart and he travels back to his mother's home and he spends four days locked in his old bedroom by himself and he wrestles down his addiction and the demons of his life. And in those four days, he experiences God. Adam McEwen writes this, four days later, he emerged a changed man. For according to him, God had met him in the most unusual way. It was a sound, a droning resonance, a reverberation unlike anything he had ever heard. God's presence had come to John Coltrane as a sound. And it's like God was speaking his heart language. Not only did this divine groove change his life, it changed the way he played. The frantic improvisation was replaced by a slower, soulful style in which Coltrane listened for the God sound to come again and tried to reproduce it with his saxophone. He came to believe that if he could play the sound for others, then they too could experience what he experienced during those four days in his bedroom. And he wrote an album out of that time, and it's called Love Supreme. So this frenetic guy finds the Lord, and this slow, soulful sound emerges. And I just wonder if we need the same kind of conversion where we've become so addicted to hurry, so addicted to just filling every little part of the page of our life with stuff. And maybe we just need to hear the God sound and to have that slow, soulful sound emerge. Last week, I finished with the point that you and I get to choose our, ma- our margins. It's like, a, like that Microsoft Word document. You can set how much is in there. You have control over that. What if the spiritual, relational, and emotional life that you've longed for is just on the other side of your busyness? So in, in light of this, in, in light of the number of our days that are limited, in light of the fact that only you can do what only you can do, I want to ask a few questions. What should you spend more time doing? Like what needs a big, bold capital, yes, exclamation point, that's, I, I have to do that. What's, what gets the yes in your life? What should you spend more time doing? The second question is, what should you spend less time doing? Meaning, it's not that it's not important. It's just that it's not as important. I uh, I remember going through the Houston church planting residency when we were planting the church, and we would have people come and they would share with us like their thing. Right, whether that was like their discipleship system, we're all taking notes. We're like, oh, I got to do that. But then you go to this next person, their thing was their evangelism system, and you're like, oh, I got to do that. Right? And The next person was, you know, their fundraising system, and you're you're taking. And so I would go to all these meetings, and and by the end I was like, I can't do any of these things. And the best advice was by Larry Osborne, and here's what he said to young church planters who were feeling the push of the frenetic of all the stuff. He said this, do your best and then take a nap. And my soul just went, oh, thank you, Jesus. Do your best and then take a nap. What What should you spend less time doing? Thirdly, what should you spend no time doing? Is there anything on your plate right now that you're like, man, that's a, it's a good thing, but it's just a should thing? I just shoulded myself into that, and it's not what God has called me to do. It keeps me from doing the thing that only I can do. And lastly, What are you going to do about this, the technology? It could be simply like finding ways to discipline yourself. There's apps that that you can find, which requires you to search things on your phone. I know. It's a black hole, right? They just, they have us. They have us, guys. But maybe it's just finding some ways to discipline yourself. Maybe it's like you have a box in your house, and you're like, "Okay, at this time, it's like, everyone walk away from the box slowly. (laughs) Don't open the box, okay?" Casey and I um, decided years ago that we would limit the amount of technology in our home. So our kids, they only get to play with their friends online on the weekends, and that's it. Because we have to find ways to discipline ourselves with technology. So in light of this, in light of the things that we've been talking about this morning, in, in light of this margin, right, you, you have enough time to do what God has called you to do. Every yes requires a no, and every no enables another yes. And spending time doing more beyond your margin always results in less. Let's be people who pursue the more that God has for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin churchorg